Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hey, listeners, welcome. This is Andrew Olson. I'm here with Roy Jones. Hey, Roy, how are you this afternoon? Very good. It is a trying time, but, but we will get through this. It is, and we will. Yeah, today is uh, March 27th, as all of you are. We're in the midst of quarantines and lockdowns, and, and this coronavirus thing is, is wreaking havoc on, on general operations for organizations all across the country. Roy, we're here today because we, we want to talk about how organizations can weather times like this and really even how they can thrive through, through times like this. I would love for us to start with you just kind of, you know, sharing a, at a high level some of the things over the, the last couple of decades that you've seen with, you know, successful ways organizations have navigated 9-11, the 2008 crisis, various hurricanes and tsunamis. And what have you learned uh, over the time in your various roles? And what are you seeing right now? Like, just talk to me about that. I mean, the, the challenge is this. We've got lots of nonprofit leaders that have just hit the brakes on fundraising. Huge mistake. Remember, it's not about the money. It is about the relationship. And I just, you know, I told my team this morning here at Ecker Connects that, that, hey, we have to make sure, we believe this, that caring for our donors and ministering to our donors is just as important as caring for our clients and caring for the needs of the poor. We believe that, but we gotta live that. And no matter what your charity is, no matter what your nonprofit is, the worst thing you can do is stop communicating with your donors right now. It's the worst thing. A great point. You know, we saw in 2008 to 2010 with the, the last big recession that happened, the organizations that overinvested in donor stewardship. So they brought in freelance people to make thank you calls. They spent extra money on doing handwritten notes. They held more donor events, things like that, all geared towards, you know, like you said, caring for the donor, making sure that the donor knows that it's about the relationship and not just about their money. Those organizations actually exited the financial crisis faster and healthier than others who didn't. So I, I think that's a really good point that you make. There. Well, and don't get me wrong. I, I like the point you make that the, the timeline is definitely going to change. We're going to have, you know, less money come in this spring but it's gonna to shift to the fall. So those nonprofits like me who have a fiscal year that ends June 30, guess what? I'm gonna have a tough fiscal year, but I'm gonna have a great fall and that's gonna help my next fiscal year. So you have to prepare your board, you have to prepare your leadership structure, that there is gonna be a shift in the revenue stream, but you gotta lean into it. What you do right now in the spring will help you in the fall. And, and if you just back away, uh, and stop communicating with donors this spring. I know, I know people that are canceling mailings. I know people that are canceling emails. I know people, of course, all of us have canceled events. I've canceled a dozen events in the last four weeks. Sure. But, you know, you have to figure out a way with the technology available to us to communicate with, with your supporters. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and we've seen just in the last couple of days, you know, it's, it's been really interesting because I've, I feel like I've seen both sides of the pendulum swing, right? So I, I've seen some organizations who've said, 
you know, like you said, we're cutting back, we're, we're canceling mailings, we're canceling emails. Of course, no one has a choice but to cancel events at this point. But, you know, canceling the things that you could otherwise engage with a donor on uh, and continue to, to maintain the relationship and generate revenue. And then I've seen others, like you said, really lean in. So I was talking to, to one of our partners today and they, they're in uh, New York and they have really leaned in to do, you know, some crisis fundraising and crisis communications. And they're seeing things like donors who used to give $30 a year are stepping up and writing $5,000 checks, right? And then earlier in the week, or maybe it was late last week, uh, one of their corporate partners stepped up with a, a, an eight-figure gift uh, to help them get through um, between now and the end of the year and to do what they need to do around this uh, coronavirus crisis. So, you know, I, I would challenge anybody who says that generosity stops at a time like this because we're just not seeing that. But it is, like you said, really about are you willing to lean into it or not? Yeah, and, you know, we really have to think about how we're communicating with people Again, if you've got a relationship with a major donor, I, I, I agree with you entirely, Andrew. Now, is, philanthropy doesn't go away. Uh, I mean, I've had a few people call me and just actually ask me, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And, and so make sure that you've prepared the needs list. You know, as, as crazy as it sounds, uh, create, you know, your, this is what we need day to day. This is the emergency needs list. These are the additional expenses that we are incurring right now because of this crisis day to day. And have that number ready uh, because if somebody asks you, you want to be able to tell them. It might be $500,000, it might be a million dollars, it might be $50,000, or in my case, it might be $10 million. But if a a donor uh, uh, asks you, you want to be able to give them the, this is what our day-to-day regular operational expenses are. These are our needs here. Uh, you, so you've got your traditional, your standard needs list, but make sure you develop an emergency needs list because people are going to ask, especially if you're having the right kinds of conversations. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to get involved in arm twisting right now. Candidly, uh, I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor of having conversations. And, and if a donor asks you, you, you need to be ready to present that need. Yeah, for sure. And I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I don't think sounding an emergency, if particularly if you're not in an organization that is directly addressing a crisis, right? That said, I think if you're a community hospital, you know, and you're going to be, you know, overtaxed because of the, the, the cases that you might see and things like that, then maybe it is appropriate for an organization like that to, to begin to sound the alarm and say, hey, this is an emergency situation and we do need urgent help, more so than, than if you're an organization maybe like a, a Habitat for Humanity or something where, where you're not really you know, on the front lines of a crisis like this. You know, that, that kind of makes sense to me. But I, one other thing I want to talk about uh, with respect to kind of the ongoing communication that's happening right now in the sector, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by most organizations you know, particularly in email or or any kind of online channel where there's at least a reference to to what's going on in the world so that it feels like it's relevant and acknowledges the current situation. But I've also been surprised by a couple of organizations that are sending email communications out that have no reference at all. And I've asked the question of a couple of folks and and they've said things like, well, we just don't know what to say or, you know, we want to be sensitive Mm. and and not make people feel like we're trying to hype the, the crisis. I don't know, where do you, where do you fall on that? Because it feels to me a little tone deaf to not address it at all. I think you have to. 
I really think you absolutely have to. I mean, uh, you know, some of the things we've done in both our electronic communications and our traditional uh, mailings, you know, is, is we've, you know, we've added a little buck slip, a bright yellow buck slip that just acknowledges uh, the crisis, apologizes that we've had to uh, cancel events because of the guidelines right now, but now we need them more than ever. And again, I don't think that's going over the line. You do have to be careful. You know, you don't want to prey on the crisis, P-R-E-Y. Prey on it, P-R-A-Y, but don't prey on it, P-R-E-Y. And so, you you know, you really don't want to be fundraising, like you said, unless you're a hospital, social service organization, some folks that are, are, you know, frontline responders right now in the crisis. That's a little different. But for most of us in the nonprofit space, you have to acknowledge it. But you also have to acknowledge that you intend uh, that, that the work goes on. You also need to communicate that you've got a plan for the work to continue. You know, we're still providing services to the poor, and here's how. You know, you don't want them to think that our services have all just been interrupted or stopped uh, during this time period. You want to communicate that they are ongoing and our needs are still present, and we need you now more than ever. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. So. Kind of along those lines, I'm curious, and maybe you guys have had to deal with this too, but I suspect in a lot of communities, particularly not the ones that are hardest hit right now, so not the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, the LA's, the New Orleans, but in other communities, I suspect that there are a lot of media folks, you know, coming around asking for a community point of view, and I'm I'm curious to know uh, what you guys are doing related to making sure that you are appropriately, you know, messaging around crisis communications and things like that, and what, what do you think the prep needs to look like for something like that? Well, I mean, we are, I mean, every day, you know, we have a call with all of our program managers. And then uh, after that call, information is, is, is passed uh, down to the tactical level. Okay. And, you know, we've got, it's unique with 2,000 employees and over 100 offices nationwide in 20 different states. You know, there's a lot of levels and, and a lot of different services that are being provided a different way. And so it, it begins obviously with electronic communications, but then it, it goes all the way downward, literally on the door of every building uh, is, is, is the instructions and where to go for information and services and support. Oh, wow. uh, and so we've not closed uh, most of our offices, but they're on staggered hours and, and you know, limited contact and obviously social distancing. And so most departments will have somebody in the in their building at, at one time throughout the day, but but it is uh, the whole procedures have changed, and so you need to be able to communicate those procedural changes to the clients you're serving, to the community, and to your and to your workers, of course. Uh, we're doing that, you know, as you know, through social media as well. You know, we're using our website to do that. We're using Facebook, Instagram. Twitter to do that as well. And so, uh, you know, it's, and it's across the board and it, and, and some days over the last 10 days, instructions have changed from one day to the next. So setting up constant communications where folks know, uh, all the, the executive leadership team planning meeting, uh, is at noon every day. And, and that means I'm going to get, I need to check for instructions, uh, by one thirty. And so, you know, those types of communications, I think, are, are, are really, really important. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So I, uh, one of the things that I've seen recently that I think is really smart, there's a couple organizations that are doing things like their CEO is, is recording a video once a week to give an update on how the organization is dealing with the crisis, you know, how it's impacting day-to-day operations, how it's impacting philanthropy, what their staff is doing that might be different. Um, and it's, it's really uh, it's for donors, but it's also for the general community, right? And I, I think the more that organizations can use video to bring their, their C-level executives, their board members, their, um, their program leads out into the open and engaging the community in, in a really tangible way, is going to be really important, particularly in a time like this. What are you seeing in that space that's interesting? Yeah, I mean, we're we're doing right now what we're doing. I mean, for our 2,000 employees, uh, our president David Dennis has done a daily a letter. Uh, we've recently added, uh, recently being yesterday. It's interesting you mentioned video, uh, a video message as well that goes along with the the text version. Okay. And then we've talked a lot about you know how we want to use video not just in the organization it just it makes it more personable it it makes it it helps people to especially when they're working from home to feel more connected and so uh you know we're using you know a lot of uh, webinar technology in our in our daily communications with one another and with our and with our clients but the other thing that we're trying to do is incorporate video in our donor uh, acknowledgements you know we're exploring uh, ways and avenues in order to uh, send, for example, our program managers, uh, you, know, I've tr- you know, we are looking at, at the possibility of thanking more than 3,000 donors individually by name in a video uh, from the program at which they support, uh, from the program office they support. And, uh, you know, going to the trouble to thank people by name and doing it by video, sending it to their home, uh, we think is going to be worth the time and trouble and expense. I love uh, it. I think it would be. And, and, you know, we are looking at, and, you know, we have in, in 20 states, uh, there are about eight major programs. And we're lo- looking out at, at some of those programs and, that, and program leaders, uh, they're asking me, what can I do to help? You know, we had to cancel our golf tournament. We had to cancel our, uh, our banquet. We had, to, we had to cancel our awards recognition ceremony. What can I do to communicate with donors and to let them know we still need their help? And we're encouraging them to be innovative. We're going to try and schedule it. But every week, every week for the next 90 days, uh, we're looking to have some sort of online fundraising campaign. Uh, it might be a concert uh, where the musicians encourage uh, supporters to to support a specific program. Uh, it might be a a virtual game, uh, for example, golf or, or or even words with friends or Tetris. I mean, we're looking at all kinds of competitions that we can create online, uh, where where people pay a fee and 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 get a chance to be the charity's national champion. So we're trying to to be innovative. You know, we're looking at online, similar to the old days that we did with television, Andrew, uh, telethons, but doing it, uh, you know, uh, real time. Uh, streaming uh, on Facebook and other mediums. So, you know, we're exploring all these opportunities. And I think any nonprofit that has had to cancel an event needs to look for a a way to create an online social media presence. You know, we got to stay in front of folks. And that's, that's the only tool we have right now. 
Yeah, for sure. So if you uh, if you guys spin up a uh, Mario Brothers uh, game competition, let me know. My daughters and I will be in on that. <laughs> Very good. We will do that. But those are the kind of ideas we're exploring right now. You know, I mean, the other thing that uh, I think, and I hate to say this because I'm sure there will be people that use it incorrectly. You know, now I'm going to be a real guardian of using it correctly, but one of the old techniques that we used to do a lot of about 20 years ago I know uh, what say. is telemarketing. Yep. And I believe there's going to be a time for it. I don't think it's going to be uh, in the month of March. I think it could start after Easter if what the president is predicting is true. It most certainly could, could be very heavy in the month of May. But telemarketing is going to have to come back. It is the only tool we have. Um, I think there's going to be different levels of it. You know, my hope is that uh, folks will look at their file and segment their file appropriately. As we said in our book, Andrew, the worst mistake you make in fundraising is asking a millionaire for 25 bucks. Yep. We, you don't want to replicate that mistake in, in your telephone fundraising campaigns. You want to segment the file. You want to have a high dollar major donor approach. You want to have a middle donor approach and you want to have a regular donor approach. And so you have to be very uh, intentional about the telemarketing strategy. And I hate even using that word, but telefunding is going to come back in a big, big way. And if you haven't booked time at a call center, you're making a mistake as a nonprofit leader. You need to reach out and identify some call centers that, that could help you over the next 90 days, uh, help you through the summer, uh, because it is going to be key. Donors, even if the, we get the all clear uh, light tomorrow, are going to be very apprehensive about taking meetings. They're going to be very apprehensive about attending events. And, and I believe the phone is going to come back in a big way. You know, I, I think you're right about that. It's, it's, uh, there's irony there. You know, there, there are so many states that have enacted pretty serious laws around telemarketing and things like that. But, but I, I think you're right. In, in a time like this where, you know, if, if a development officer called me and asked for a meeting, even if we weren't in the, you know, shelter and place kind of order, right now I wouldn't take that meeting just to make sure that, you know, my family and I stayed safe. So, I do think that the, you know, what, what might previously have been considered the more intrusive tool um, will end up being a pretty viable tool. And, and, and I've already heard a couple organizations jumping on and, and, and uh, booking time at call centers. So just for, for everybody out there, if you need a call center, look at Gateway Communications. They're a really good partner of ours and they do good work. Two other things around video that I wanted to share that some have you know, seen elsewhere. One of our clients is an international ministry organization, and they typically have dozens of church meetings every year so they're going in and they're they're giving a message at a, at a church uh you know um, in place of the pastor and and speaking typically around uh passover time and easter time but they can't do that now because of their quarantine issues and and social distancing issues so they they've pivoted and they're hosting 40 different zoom church services uh, and inviting anyone and everyone so folks who would have been in the church pews at the churches they were going to, to visit and just the general public, you know, those are the, the promotion of that launched actually, I think today. Uh, so that's a really kind of interesting approach to something like that. And then the other is, uh, and I know you've heard me talk about them before, Roy, but um, our friends over at ViewSpark. So ViewSpark is a platform that lets you do uh, real time video engagement with, with donors and volunteers. 
and they their clients are um, seeing some really great success right now with just short you know sort of update videos four or five times a day maybe two or three times a week whatever the, the frequency is just getting in front of people and showing them on a regular basis that their gifts are still making an impact that their you know the the donors goals are still being achieved through the program and making sure that people see that you're relevant still i think those kind of things are really important mm. yeah you know the, the, the other thing i want to mention about this is you do have to be careful with the social media platform you're using whether it's facebook instagram they all will collect donations it, it tends to be slower to process you tend to get one check and then a list of all the, the donors that, that made a gift. I encourage folks to set up your own giving pages and direct people to your own giving page. I know there's probably some different views uh, of thought there uh, than I have. There are some services that uh, I'm thinking of uh, QGive and some others that in the peer-to-peer -peer space that have pretty good giving platforms that are real-time that you are able to collect the data as the donation is made. And, and again, as you work in the online space, folks just have to make sure that, that they got to understand time is money. And what they're after is the second gift, not the first. Yeah, and we, retention is what it is. You're right. It, it's retention. And, and, if, and, if, and if it takes you a week, if it takes you a month uh, to get that data, the odds are you're not going to see a second gift. And you still need to be able to continue your receding and acknowledgement campaigns. Uh, even though um, our offices are on limited hours right now, uh, we still go in and pick up the mail every day. We still process transactions every day. Thank you letters go out every day, real time. Deposits are batched and made every day. So don't ignore your receding process. Don't say, oh, we can just put them in a safe and wait for a month or a week and, and run them. Uh, it's a mistake, especially right now. Somebody makes a gift right now, they're a pretty special person. You wanna thank, you wanna thank them quickly. What, one thing, I wanna pivot us a little bit, and this is maybe gonna ruffle some feathers out there. I've already been scolded by a couple of people for, for bringing this up uh, on LinkedIn, but you know, I, I'm thinking about the charities that really are sort of one channel charities. All of their revenue or most of their revenue comes from one source, right? And we see at times like this, that sometimes those revenue sources, while they might be a great you know, benefit in good times, they might kill an organization in bad times. So, um, you know, if you're an organization that raises the majority of your money from special events or from charitable gaming or things like that, and a crisis like this happens, all of a sudden you, you've come to a standstill. And it just reminds me that, you know, we need to be really strategic about putting more lines in the water, about, you know, making sure that we're building an individual giving file, making sure that there's a a healthy and robust major gift uh, program in an organization, making sure that you're diversifying your revenue streams as much as possible. Talk a little bit about that perspective, Roy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think you're exactly right. I like to compare it to a mutual fund. You spread the risk out by the number of different revenue streams that you have. If you're just at one specific event type of an organization, and all of a sudden that you're not allowed to have that kind of event, you're in trouble. You've got to be able to pivot and move into some of, now is the time uh, to move into some of these other funding platforms. 
and, and now is the time where it's pretty clear that you need to make the case to senior leadership and your board that we can't, we can no longer run an organization that is just dependent upon one or two revenue streams. We need multiple revenue streams, like you said, multiple lines in the water. Um, it, you know, it's, it's how you reduce risk in an organization. I hate to say this, you know, we're jumping into some controversial topics now. There are about 2 million nonprofits in the United States. Uh, every year, there are about 50,000 of them that go out of business for all kinds of reasons. I think this could be a year where you could, you could easily see not just 50,000, but 100,000, maybe, maybe 200,000 go out of business if they don't pivot and move into these multiple revenue streams. We're all guilty of it. All of us are, are pretty good at certain kinds of fundraising. And so we tend to just stay in, uh, uh, on that pole <laughs> to, 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 to use your metaphor, Andrew, uh, we stay in that one vertical, you know, I'm a pretty good major gift guy. Uh, I like face to face engagements. Uh, I like getting in front of people. Well, that's gone right, right. now. And so I've got to move into some of these other platforms. I got to put more lines in the water. And that's, that's the lesson I've learned uh, in a, in a pretty significant, pretty short period of time. Uh, and I just would encourage folks, if you're on the fence about doing this, uh, you think that this too will just pass. If I just sit here and let it pass, don't make that mistake. Use this time to learn something new. Use this time to reach out to, uh, other vendors and other providers and other agencies and ask for help in some of these other areas. Now is the time to get the help and now is the time to put more lines in the water, not less. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing it makes me think is, you know, and, and I think you're right. I, I think that we could see a, a pretty rapid acceleration on the number of nonprofits that go out of business in the next 12 months. And, and one of the things that's going to cause that is that so many organizations live on a razor thin margin and don't mm. put any money into reserves. Mm. You know, and, I, and I'm not talking about building a massive like Harvard level endowment. I, that's not, that's not what I, the point I'm trying to make here, but you know, for an organization that, that doesn't have six to 12 months of cash reserves set aside so that if, and when something does break, uh, they can handle it and not completely, have to shut down operations. I mean, I think those are going to be the organizations that we see wiped off the map because I don't, I don't know how you come back from a situation like this where your, you know, your revenue lines and your, your income might be impacted for three or four months. And if you can't float that, I, I don't know where you go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. You know, I, I know that, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to do some things in the stimulus package right now to incentivize uh, giving. You know, I haven't seen all the details of the, of the bill that Congress is working on right now, but uh, you know, I think we're gonna see both states and uh, the federal government uh, open up uh, and, and allow more, uh, more deductions for those people that can give during and after this crisis. Uh, but I still don't, I think you're right, it's, it's gonna be really tough for, for, for certain nonprofits, and that probably is just not gonna be enough. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So we're pretty close to being out of time here. I don't want to end on that negative note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 let me just end, throw two more things out there. First of all, be authentic with your donors. Have conversations. Don't twist their arms and pitch. Uh, be real. 
understand your programs, communicate to your, to your supporters what you're doing in this crisis. Uh, they need to know that you're still there, that you're still providing services, that whatever it is that you do is still mission critical, still important, and still being done, albeit being done different ways. You know, we have to, have to, have to uh, keep supporters uh, engaged uh, during this time period. All right, man, I think that's a great way to end. Thanks for making time today. Thanks for hanging out with me during this uh, quarantine process. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully listeners found some value in what we talked about. Blessings to you. Tell your family I said hi. Hey, man, same to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.